Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the mailbag. I'm Marcus Christopher Speller, and he's Andrew Joseph Brassel. James, but as we know I knew from, it was a J. from the recent ramble, there's there's a campaign that I think is gathering pace <laughs> on uh, the Discord to for me to change it from James to Victor. So um, Kate ABC. Mason can call me AVP. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, that was. You know, uh, my 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 granddad gave himself a middle name. He he, he never had a. I like that. A middle name. He, he gave himself a V. He used to sign stuff like Valentine as his middle name. <laughs> what a great choice! I know it's decent, isn't it? He's gone big, baby. Yeah. Uh huh. I like that. I think because Pete doesn't have a middle name. That's why we sort of do the old diggery. Yeah, business. yeah. I find that quite strong. Although middle names, there's not really that much point. When Other you than, were at school, mm. did you like go in the common room and go, "All right, MC Speller"? I didn't, but I should have done. Do you know? Throughout my whole time at school, nobody took the piss out of my name Speller. Like, oh, you could Speller or do Speller? Never. Because I think it was probably because just, you weren't. I know I was okay. <laughs> I was okay. But I think it's probably because it's a bit naff and it was a bit too easy, maybe. But then that never stopped school kids before, did it, Andy? No, that's true. Did you get anything about Brassel? Brassel? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Damn right. But, so, you know... That's you should have done. I was, I was above all that, to be honest. Yes, of course you were. You grew eight inches in one year. I did. And what a boost it was to my football career mm-hmm. for that very short spell of time. Well, that growth spurt, among other reasons, has brought you here to the to the mailbag table. <laughs> So let us begin, ladies and gentlemen, with uh, some questions from your good selves, or one particular good self, Stuart Tuckwell. Uh, All right, Stuart. Yeah. Um, I miss a good tuck shop. Yeah, I, you know what? I said to my wife the other day, um, mm. b- before a Champions League game that I was at home for... Go and get the tuck. I'm going I'm I'm to go to the shop and get some tuck. Do you yeah. want anything? Uh it's funny that, isn't it? Nobody uses the word tuck anymore. No, do don't. <laughs> Apart from me and you, it turns out. Yes. Which must be why fate has brought us here, in the words of uh, Macy Gray. I'd say so. Um, although some people, you know, it's used differently. Nip and tuck, for example. Yeah, people don't use... Uh, people shouldn't use that. <laughs> Depends what they're doing. Yeah. Um, well, Stuart Tuckwell says VAR seems to make negative headlines in the Premier League every weekend. Does, Stuart? Does. Is this the same in Europe's major leagues or is VAR applied more effectively or looked upon more favourably around Europe? Of course, in some of the big leagues in Europe, it has been around longer, Andy. Yeah, and I think that's the really key to this question, Mm -hmm. actually, Marcus, the fact that they're just a a little bit more used to it now and a little bit more used to the application of it. Um, And, you know, there's, there's no denying that there's been teething problems everywhere as I think should have been expected from the off I mean uh, Kicker did an anonymous survey um, midway through the first season that it was in the Bundesliga and I think 55% of Bundesliga players said they'd like to get rid of it and never see it ever again really yeah so and it, I think if you go back to the start in, in <laughs> Serie never see it again <laughs> yeah I, th- I think they specifically mm. use the phrase and never see it again yes I think if, if you go back to the, the start in Italy 
You had some huge delays. Oh, over, over it was decisions. poorly applied in Italy, you would say. Yeah, I think... If You're getting regularly like eight, nine minutes injury time. If you go back to the start in Portugal, which is one of the countries, I would say, where football culture is the most paranoid about referees, and sometimes with good reason, of course. Really? In Portugal? Say, yeah. Um, Not Italy. They, they, they were... I said one of the okay, countries. Okay, okay, um, They complained that it wasn't used enough mm. um, if you go to France they were a little suspicious of technology because goal line technology had been such a d- dreadful failure because mm-hmm. they'd really chosen a quite poor quality supplier mm. so you had a lot of instances with goal line technology where the ball was going over the line and the referee's watch wasn't going off. The ball was nowhere near the line and the referee's watch was going off. I'd like to think that common sense never prevailed the cross comes in, the referee's gone, well, the buzz, got to give it. Yeah. <laughs> Point the watch. Point the watch. That's yeah. what the ref does. So what they did uh, about two thirds of the way through the second season, the um, goal line technology was in Ligue 1. Uh, they went round all the grounds mm-hmm. where, of course, it costs a couple of hundred thousand pounds to install all the cameras mm-hmm. and the, the sensor system and rip them all out. And took a baseball bat to them. And just played without it for the rest of the season while they got a new supplier. So he should have gone with Hawkeye in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Really. Should have gone with Bob Hawkeye. (laughs) So I think there's a a better understanding of it because we're a little bit further along the line. But I do think there are cultural issues because a lot of the the fuss in England with VAR is not really about VAR. It's about what VAR points out Mm. in terms of rules. So uh, if if you look at handball, when we've moved away from the use of, and, that, and that's been the main thing really, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. But certainly this season in the Premier League, the perception of of handball, that the idea of deliberate or or, or undeliberate, mm-hmm. that's something that is, is 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 far more liberally used in European football, and has been for for quite a long time. I mean, if you bear in mind, if you handle in the penalty box in Spain, not only is it a penalty you get booked. And we culturally feel that is wrong, don't we? Yes. But you know what? It's one of those things, it's a bit like um, American English grammar, isn't it? Where you'd say Arsenal is on the attack. Where we'd say Arsenal are on the attack. Mm -hmm. And we feel naturally that it's wrong. Actually, Arsenal is a club, a team, singular. Mm -hmm. Arsenal is on the attack actually makes a lot of better sense. Mm -hmm. And ditto with the handball rule in Spain because if it's a deliberate handball it should be a booking yeah oh. that's, that's that's exactly what it's all about mm. so I think there is a bit of a bit of a cultural leap that maybe we need to take and the idea that it should be regular it should be the same standard throughout football or throughout top level football at least because there is a bit of a gap of course when when you start getting down to to, to league one for example or league two um the idea that there should be some sort of common ground is a good one. But I think as we've found quite a lot mm-hmm. in uh, culture generally, cert- certainly in the in the case of England, there's strong cultural resistance to us sharing common ground mm. <laughs> with, with, with our European neighbours. So it's, it's something that I think needs to be worked on from from an English perspective, is 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 something that that takes time. Hang on, so, when, you, when you say, I understand the point you're you're making there, but, but to suggest that we've perhaps been a bit stubborn. I mean, we haven't gone around and ripped out all the systems like they did in France, you know. Well, they, yeah, but they they literally weren't working. Yeah, 
Okay, fair enough. But it, but it has caused this has caused a problem. This has caused a lot of chats. It's just it's a, they're slightly longer in the tooth with VAR than we are. Yeah, I, I I think so. And I think Jules Breach said something a while back, which I thought was the most convincing argument for VAR that that, that I've ever heard. It's mm-hmm. a really simple one, and she said why it works for me is we will never have an offside goal given. We will never have an offside goal given anymore and we'll never have a good goal shorted off anymore. I think that's quite a convincing argument. Mm. You know, I, I mean, you could talk about the spirit of the game. We can talk about our and will, frustration and, mm-hmm. and, and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, that that is that is a pretty convincing argument, I would say. Yes. One that hasn't convinced me. But you know... You know what? For for me, and I feel that <laughs> what I feel about VAR mm-hmm. is it, it it takes too much not power away from the referees, respect mm-hmm. away from the referees. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think that's a huge problem. I think the relationship of trust between the officials and um, the players, which has been and coaches, which has been gradually eroded by TV over time. Mm-hmm is uh, I think that's a big issue I think it's something that should be really really important in the in the game and I, I do feel that the spirit of the law is important I also feel that the flow of the game is important and the last time I went to see some matches in Turkey which would have been last year I went to two Super League games mm-hmm. and there were seven minutes of stoppage time at the end of each half of each of those games mm. and at the end of that I don't know if I really cared whether it was right or wrong anymore. I, I just thought life is too short for this, you know? Exactly, Andy. And going back to your thing about, you know, Arsenal is or Arsenal are. Yes. You're right. Technically, at Arsenal, it's Arsenal is playing tonight in the champ, not the Champions League, uh, in the Europa League. <laughs> whereas, whereas... We are recording this on a Thursday, Marcus. <laughs> but of course, Andy, you know, the spirit of it, is that Arsenal are not just a single entity, they're a collective, a group of people, hence we use... A group of people. Yeah, hence we use R. And and I think that... Uh, every single one of those people matters. Exactly. Yes. And every single one of those celebrations that, that had to be, you know... Curtailed. Curtailed uh, matter to me. What's your, what's your, fir- your favourite curtailed goal by VAR? Well, I remember my, my the one that pissed me off the most was that Jesse Lingard goal for England against the Netherlands in the semi-final of the UEFA Nations League, Andy. I'm still angry about that. I had the feeling that was on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> I, I just wanted to ask. My my favourite one is uh, where um, it was it was derby between Leverkusen and mm-hmm. Köln. And I think this goes back to the first season that was in the, the, the Bundesliga. Yep. Uh, Köln was doing dreadfully. It was 2-1 to Leverkusen. Um, on the counter-attack... Um, Leverkusen score a third goal and they celebrate because they had this huge banner afterwards because uh, Köln are the, the Billy Goats they had this big banner that they'd done mm-hmm. which said we are the Goat Busters mm. very clever no, with you know the full like Ghostbuster lecture set score this third goal players celebrate Tannoy Man plays mm-hmm. the Ghostbusters theme tune and then they disallow the goal uh, it's awful awful business nobody nobody takes any credit from any of that yeah, honestly, nobody. I would, I would, especially not the Leverkusen PA man. I would remove offsides from VAR's remit, or maybe I would reduce it to the final pass or deflection or whatever it is before the goal is scored. I don't give a damn if someone's offside in the build-up to it. 
if they're offside by a hair. But do you know what? I, I really I, don't I care. Don't, I don't care if, if, if someone's like a little bit offside. Yeah, I'm, you, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I agree. So I, I would probably remove, I would want to see offsides completely removed from VAR. I would use it for maybe straight red cards and penalties, perhaps, so the yeah. referee can have another look. And, and, and of course, those, those decisions are, are always open to interpretation anyway. Yeah. And so he just, the referee just has another look. Uh, and, you know, that's what I would do anyway. Uh, watch the championship it's not there brilliantly um, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really up for the idea of, of you being our moral leader on mm. VAR and simply playing the ref back clips on your phone mm. I'd be up for that offside I think uh, as a player stood right in front of that he doesn't move for it Vinicius Junior's in the eye line he should be disallowed this Mason says, my question hey, Mason. is... Mason. The, the Spanish teams are all proper shit. And then he, and he has underneath that a meme of sort of people doing a nice little dance and whatnot. Um, <laughs> what's up with that? What's up with that? It's true, Andy. What's going on in Spain? It's a good question mm-hmm. and um, very nicely expressed, I, yes. think, I think, Mason. Um, it's, it's been clear for a long while that um, Real Madrid and Barcelona are in a state of flux. Now, if, if we're talking about transition, Atletico Madrid have to come into that as they well. They do, Andy. Because bear in mind, go back to last season and how many starters they changed, which mm-hmm. is quite unprecedented for an elite European club, of which they are one now. Mm-hmm. You, you have to say that. But changing five or six starters, the sort of experience that they lost, um, not just in you know the big players that you think of, but also... Um, I think you look at Gabby, Fernando Torres over the mm-hmm. last couple of years, guys who are leaders who embodied the club. That's hard. And Simeone was quite consistent throughout the season. He did say at the start of last season, um, this is going to be a transitional season. And no one believed him. Mm. And then they got to the, the, the end and it's like, oh, well, you know, it feels like it's the end of the end of an era. It is literally the end of an era. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've just got the same coach. Then you look at, at Real Madrid moving on from Cristiano Ronaldo, moving on eventually from Luka Modric. So after that goal in El Clasico, they ran um, a poll, I think it was in Marca or Ass, to um, ask how many people thought Luka Modric should get a new contract. 91% voted get a new contract. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's always difficult, I think, with when you're moving on from a, a team that's uh, marked the history of the club and in their case mm. with three successive Champions Leagues. You, you've got to, at some point, in the words of Freddie Shepard, who I don't like to quote too often, you, you, you've you've got to kill Bambi. Ah. Sooner or later. Are you going to say that comment about women from Newcastle? No, no, of course not. Yeah, exactly. A lot of your family from there, Andy. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's really difficult to move on from teams that have... have are historic teams. Mm. Um, I think I think Barcelona have found the same. I think they've been fettered in recent years by this image of the way they should play football. We talked about that recently on the Ramble, didn't we, with Manchester United. There's this idea of how they should play football because mm-hmm. of that golden era. Well, the Guardiola shadow, and to a lesser extent, I suppose, the Rijkaard shadow, will always loom over modern Barcelona a, a little mm-hmm. bit. and More the Guardiola shadow. Yes, Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Rijkaard was the start of them of course not, he was. not being terrible. Of course. But, but I, I think with them, obviously, it's, it's got a lot more to do with 
the directorship of the, the club. And of course, Bartomeu going, and as we mentioned on OTC, him being the fourth of the last five Barcelona presidents to have resigned before term, mm. I think shows you a bit of a long-term problem in the, in the in the running of the club. But, you know, clearly the way he's he's spent money has been deeply, deeply unsuccessful. I think you could argue in the transfer market generally that big three have, have, have been pretty unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. I think if you compare, compare any of their dealings to Sevilla, and Sevilla clearly, because they're operating on a, a lower budget, have to be have to be more prudent, have to be more more sensible. Um, but there, there are a lot of big signings that haven't worked out for Real Madrid and haven't worked out for Atletico as well. And because it's been so disastrous in the transfer market for, for Barcelona, I think it's quite easy to overlook just what's gone wrong for Real Madrid and Atletico. And I think you look at Atletico, you look at strikers particularly. Of course, you look at Thomas Lamar, but in, in terms of strikers, you look at the buying back of Diego Costa, which has, has mm. not worked. It's absolutely not worked. Of course, he's had his moments. People think of him as the soul of Atletico, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's been a financially disastrous move for for them. And, you know, they're... They're living with a lot of debt, and they have been mm. for a, for a long time. What about the attacking talent they got now, Suarez, Felix? Uh, yes, but uh, Suarez was really an opportunity signing rather than a planned one. No, but the fact is they've got him. Yeah, that's true, and um, they've taken a long time to get to this point, though. Mm-hmm. If if you go back, you think of Atletico as an unbroken run of exceptional strikers mm-hmm. from Aguero, Forlan, mm-hmm. and then Diego Costa, Falcao, Falcao. You think of those, but the reality is there have been quite a few duffers in there, like Ghost of Diego Costa mm-hmm. this time. Kevin Gamero never worked out. Griezmann. <laughs> yeah. You know, there are there, Jackson there, there Martinez are of, didn't. Jackson Martinez was was a really mm. good example, and they were lucky mm-hmm. to be in a position where six months into what they considered a, a failed experiment. They could sell him to China and mm. get their money back. Not mm. obviously a luxury for obvious reasons that uh, Arsenal have had with Mesut Ozil. Yeah. And then you, you, you look at Real Madrid, you look at um, Odria Zola, cost a lot of money, not worked out. Eden Militao has not worked out so far. Mm. Eden Hazard has not worked out so far. So really, the, the, you know, there have been a lot of signings for both of those clubs that, that haven't cut it. And, you know, you, you tend to think, I, I think, with the very biggest clubs, that you know they could, they could, they can brush anything off, and I think this is this is one of those things. A bit like I think someone once described that if you're someone who's renting a high spec apartment, if you're not keeping up with the rent, you won't get caught until quite late because people always assume you have the money. Mm. And I think that's a little bit similar with some of these biggest clubs in La Liga, in that. You, you buy a signing for 30, 40 million and it doesn't work out and people go, oh, well, I can afford it. But as Barcelona have shown, if those mount up, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you're at the bottom of a deep financial black hole and you're on the hook for a lot of wages as well. And particularly in this day and age, and I know people will say Real Madrid sold quite well last summer because they sold quite a lot. Um <laughs> It, it's, it's difficult to get those players off the books. So whereas Real Madrid did do quite well in selling last year, this idea that the club are pumping out that they did brilliantly in, in, in last summer's market selling lots of players, well, okay, they got rid of some, but they still, they, they had to take a massive hit on getting rid of Gareth Bale. They didn't get 
half as much as they would have got for James Rodriguez had they sold him the the summer before. They are not as good as selling players as, as they used to. So I think you're looking at all of these three operating at the very top of their wage cap because, of course, there's a wage cap in the Liga related to your, your income. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's a very, very big wage cap. So operating at the the top of it is absolutely horrendous. So, what is the good? Tell us a little bit about the wage cap, then. Remind me. It's it's, it's related to um, how much you bring in. So, for example, the um, the wage cap for Real Madrid would be loads higher than it would for Getafe mm-hmm. or Granada or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's been in Spain for a, a very long time. Um, you, you had, for example, Pedro León, who used to play for Real Madrid, publicly ridiculed rather mm-hmm. unfairly by Jose Mourinho, uh, Jose Mourinho at, w- at one point. Um, he, at one point, couldn't get in the Getafe squad. They couldn't register him because they had too many other players on on, on the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you're looking at every level, chronic inefficiency in um, the transfer market from those three clubs in the last little while. I mean, as it turns out, Joao Felix might still work out for Atletico, mm-hmm. but it's a risk. You know, paying that much money is, is is an enormous risk. Now, of course, it could work out and they will hope it will work out to the extent that he'll have three, four very good years there and then they'll sell him for twice what they bought him for. Mm-hmm. Who knows how football will recover post-pandemic. But generally speaking, even though there are exceptions, even though there are moments where they've got it right in terms of um, Madrid selling and Atletico buying, generally they've been chronically inefficient in transfers and contracts over the last while I see Andy I see Andy I'd like to finish the mailbag this week already with a question from myself oh with a question yes right okay (laughs) get out (laughs) I think that's enough don't you ladies and gentlemen Um, I'd like to talk about Istanbul Basak Shahir would you oh yes you know what they call them in uh, Turkey Basak Shahir Medipol Basak Shahir why because they're sponsored by um, a health company called Medipol. Oh, how about that insight, ladies and gentlemen? Well, um, everyone's going to go out and buy themselves a pint of Medipol afterwards, aren't they? Oh, at least. Um, I'm going to buy a yard of the stuff. Uh, <laughs> and I... drink it like David Villa. <laughs> oh, honestly, David Villa, when he used David to play... David Villa? used to do yards of ale? Well, when he used to play for Zaragoza, actually, mm. um, it was... He's, he's an Asturian, mm-hmm. and when he used to play for uh, Sporting Gijon as well, he used to mime drinking uh, a yard of cider. Really? Yeah. Well, they do that in Spain as well. Yeah, Asturias is big on cider. All right, but I didn't know yeah. the whole yard. The first time I saw a yard of ale was in the student union when I was obviously a student, yes. and it was like, oh, blimey. That, I didn't realise that existed, but quite clearly it did. Rugby boys. Yard of R. White's lemonade for me, please, barman. Oh, I'll tell you what, you get the shakes, wouldn't you? <laughs> Imagine. Oh, dearie me. I Buzzing don't... teeth. A yard of anything is too much. Yes, it is. I do a yard of marzipan. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? I'd get through that. Like uh, Pete Donaldson's dog eating a carrot. I think I'd get through it. Uh, <laughs> where was I? Oh, yes, it's, it's number one here. Or you know, whatever they're called. Or Basak Shahir, as we're calling them. Basak Shahir. They are in the Champions League. They are. And we're seeing a little bit more of them as a result. 
But I want to know, Andy, with the situation uh, in Turkish football, with them, of course, being champions, shaking things up a bit, because um, obviously they're still fairly new uh, compared to... Oh, know, they are. Well, they are. They are new. Um, uh, a new club winning the title. We're so used to Galatasaray or, or Fenerbahce or even Besiktas once upon once once and every every now and then. Can they win the title this year? Are they are they still in, in the position they were last year? And what about the other clubs, the other big players in Turkish football? Well, they've, they've had a really bad start. I mean, it's, in terms of starts to a title defence... I don't think it gets much worse than losing your first three games, two of which are to newly promoted clubs, yeah. <laughs> and getting a point from the the fourth game. I mean that that is a bad start, mm-hmm. but by any stretch of the imagination, um, they have picked up at the time of recording a, a little bit since, and um, that makes sense because they've they've got attacking punch. Um, Enzo Crivelli, who I thought was really good against Paris Saint Germain, uh, Edin Vishka, who runs it all. Denver Bar's still got a bit in the tank. And mm. I think the thing about him, you think of how old he is and the injuries he's taken. He shouldn't be able to play top top level <laughs> football anymore. And, you know, he's been dogged by injury concerns throughout his career. But he's such a smart player. He's mm. one of the cleverest centre forwards, I think, that you'll you'll ever see. There's loads to his game. Um, that, 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 that really helps. Erfanjan um, Kajevi, also mm-hmm. very, very good. There's there's a lot of quality in there. And um, interestingly, when you look at some of those players, there's maybe not the budget for them to go elsewhere. I mean, um, obviously it's mainly uh, experienced players at Bajikshir, but there are some younger ones like um, Irvin Jankachevi is in his, um, his mid-20s. Mm-hmm. He'd said before, I would love to go to a club in Western Europe. And he was linked with Schalke. Of course, Schalke can't afford a player like that at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely out of the question. So maybe that's something that's absolutely helped them out. In terms of this season, I think that there's no overwhelming candidate for the title, which mm-hmm. maybe helps them out, even though they've had quite a poor start. So you look at Galatasaray, who were improved from last season, but are a little bit up and down. One of the main improvements at the start of this season is Radamel Falcao has been fit. Can you guarantee that for a whole season? Well, obviously no one can guarantee anything, but um, there's got to be a bit, a little bit of concern. Um, they've got to try and manage him over the season. I think mm-hmm. the fact that um, there's no European football obviously is a disappointment to the club globally, but might actually play for them in terms of managing the, the, the squad. Um, Fenerbahce have made some interesting reinforcements. You know, he's just turned up there and I know we love a former Premier League player in Turkish Super League. Papis Dembasise, ah, 35 years nice. old, has just come across from Alanya Sport mm-hmm. to um, Fenerbahce, got his first goal um, a week or so ago. And he's someone who, well, he'll just score goals forever, mm. no matter how old he is. You know, he's, he's, he's scored a lot of goals for Alanya Sport. I think he'll be really useful for, for Fenerbahce. But you look at Bajic Shears as the season commenced that uh, carried on last season after the the, the, the pandemic Bajik Shahir's main rivals for the title were um, Trabs on Spore and it all went dreadfully wrong at the end and they got banned from Europe and they have neither a pot to piss in nor a window to throw it out of which is a difficulty because um, Eddie Newton who's um, become coach there which is a, a, a great thing go on Eddie um, he has he, he did well of course to, to take over to get the job to win the Turkish Cup. I, I don't know how long he gets there because he is basically paying the bill 
for what the previous regime did, which was not really looking after the accounts, which um, led to them being banned from Europe. Um, the exit of Alexander Solot, who is, is going to be impossible for them to, to replace. Of course, Daniel Sturridge, they, they couldn't really keep him fit, so he left as, as, as well. So at least that's a little relief in terms of wages. Um, but he's got very limited means. They can't challenge for the title this mm. season, this, despite being very well supported. A thing that, as we know in the current environment, is something they can't really lean on because mm. it's a very hostile environment out there in the, the Black Sea. I, I think you look at... The, there, there are so many teams that have got holes in them and there are so many teams who don't really have money to do anything in January. Mm-hmm. I think that gives Bajic Shahir an option to catch up. I think they can get back in the thick of the title race despite that poor start for them. And I think these little signings, like Papis Nembasise, mm-hmm. are going to be absolutely vital as the season goes on. Clubs have to be smart. They have to be creative and they can't break the bank because Turkish football at the moment is in a very parlous financial state. Mm-hmm. What do you think of uh, Rafael? Going to Istanbul, Bazik Shahir. Did you go from Leon? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah. What do you think of your your lovely little Brazilian man going there? Um, I particularly enjoyed uh, the presentation that mm-hmm. he did with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, <laughs> eye covering. That was that was excellent. Yes. Um, Rafael's ever so lovable. He uh, is. Uh, he really is. Like, like fans everywhere love him. Whether they're United. Lyon, I'm, I'm sure Basic Shahir fans, even though they're not that many of them, mm-hmm. will, 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 will love him too as well. And he looked pretty good in the first couple of Champions League matches. He's mm-hmm. obviously really enjoying playing in the Champions League. He gives everything. He also, as I recently described, I believe, on, on the Ramble, plays football a, a little bit like a prodigiously a talented child. <laughs> but, but because he's, he's, yeah. got, he's got loads of ability. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible athlete, mm-hmm. can run all day. He's still 30, is he? Yeah. I say still, like he's you know locked in time. He's still, he's not that old. No, no, he's, he's, he's not. He's, he's a mere youth, a stripling when it comes to Basic Shahir <laughs> standards. But he, he will go in and make loads of crazy tackles. Mm. Uh, like he's, he's got no discipline to him whatsoever. But of course, that's part of why fans love him. Cool. Because he plays how they would. <laughs> After five pints or a couple of Red Bulls. Him and him and NASA Chadley going there. That's a lovely old job. Yeah, it is. Bit of NASA. Oh. There we are, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening to the mailbag. It's been an absolute pleasure. Get your questions in, of course, on the mailbag thread on the Discord app. Andy, thank you, my good man. Thank you so much. Thank you, listeners. See you next week. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creator Network.